and welcome to Act to Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about the Scorpio races by Maggie Steve Otter with a very special guest, our friend Jesse. Say hi. Hey. hey. <laughs> Hi, Jesse. Thank you I so much. I waved. Like <laughs> we saw you. Yeah. We appreciate it. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. We know that you love this book as much as we do. And so we couldn't imagine talking about it without you. Before we dive in, you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you and in, in your own podcast? Oh, yes. So uh, I know Tejan and Corinne uh, from the same way that they know each other. Although Corinne and I live in the same city and we, we knew of each other. We knew each other before uh, we met online again. Yes. <laughs> uh, the internet bringing people together. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I am also a, I'm a fellow lover of YA books and a, a horse girl. So I have my own podcast with my friend, Annie, who Tej and Corinne know as well. It's called The Daily Nightly. And it's a Jane Austen podcast where we read the works of Jane Austen. Uh, we watch adaptions based on the works of Jane Austen and we fangirl about them. Uh, we just finished Pride and Prejudice and we have an episode dropping soon where we talk about all the adaptions and it's a lot of screaming about Mark Darcy. Uh, Mark Dar- well, and Mark, and Mark, <laughs> Mark Darcy. Yeah. Mark Darcy, too. All the Darcy's. Yeah, all the Darcy's. If we somehow have any listeners that have not listened to the Daily Nightly, please, please fix that because yeah, it is so good. I love it so much. It's great. And you guys are going in publication order, right? So yeah, you guys mm-hmm. did Sense and Sensibility and then Pride and Prejudice and which, which is next? So Mansfield Park is next, I'm pretty sure, um, which is a book. I don't actually think I've read this one. So mm-hmm. it'll be sort of a different experience because I was familiar with Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice beforehand. Yeah. So I think I watched That's the super exciting. movie. Yeah. So it'll be a good one to, to read along with you guys because mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think I've read it before either. It's I think the only one of hers I ever read. So that will be very exciting. Well, we're very, again, we're very excited to have you here today and we're very excited to talk about this book. But before we do, we always like to talk about what we are obsessing over this week. So Tasia, do you want to start off with that? Sure. I have been rewatching Lovesick. Um, if anybody hasn't watched that show before, it's on Netflix. It's only three, three seasons, three very short seasons, um, but it stars Johnny Flynn and others, other great people, but it's, I, I I can't even really get into it, but it's so good. It's kind of my favorite comfort watch. And in these darkest of times, comfort watches are what it's all about. Yeah. I watched that for the first time, I think on your recommendation, primarily at the beginning of like quarantine back in like March and April. And it is just very funny. Like the premise of it seems kind of silly, but I think it's very uh, cleverly done where it's this guy who's been diagnosed with an STD. So he has to go back to all of his sexual partners, but it like goes out of order and kind of builds up to like his, his ultimate love interest. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it is a very good show and it's very funny. It's great because it, it is really funny, but it's also so heartfelt and he's going back and like trying to contact all of his past lovers because he's trying to figure out like what's gone wrong in his love life and why he can't make anything work. And it's just really fun. The title is almost like a double entendre. Like it's, it, he's actually like ill with, with whatever disease he has. And then he also is like trying to figure out why he's been such a mess in love. That's a good show. I like it. That's a good obsession. How about you, Jesse? What are you into right now? Uh, so continuing with the theme of your your YA podcast, I recently read a book called Punching the Air by E.Z. Zobai and in prison reform activist Yusuf Salam. Um, E.B. Zobai actually wrote a, a Pride and Prejudice type book called Pride about, uh, it's like a modern retelling. It's very good. And uh, so this novel, it's a YA story and it's told in verse. And it's about a boy who's wrongfully accused and incarcerated. And it's based on Yusuf's life story as one of the exonerated five. And it's just beautifully told and um, like heart wrenching. And he's an artist and he keeps getting these flickers of hope and people keep letting him down. And uh, I definitely recommend it uh, to people. I, I wasn't super doubt like I had never read a book in verse before and I thought it would be sort of take me out of the story but instead I think it almost like sucked me in further uh, which was kind of a cool change of pace 
That sounds really, I've heard nothing but good things about that one. Did you feel compelled to like read it aloud because it was in verse? Like, I feel like I've heard that before. It's like a good way to read books that are in verse, especially if you're new to them so that you can get yourself immersed in the, in the style, the lyrical style of the writing. Yeah, I definitely read some of it out out loud. I have a four month old baby at home and everyone keeps saying, you know, read to her and, you know, I have the hunger caterpillar and everything, but I, uh, I, re- you know, she, she's just listening, not so much to the words, but just the sound of my voice. So I pretty much read to her whatever I'm reading at the time. So it's sort of a joy to get to read her something that is sort of lyrical like this. And it was this book in particular was very fun to read to her versus some of the romance novels that I've been <laughs> reading also. She's getting a very well-rounded uh, reading education. So. I know, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that she's going to love all these things from an early age. That's fantastic. I guess that my obsession this week is, I think, uh, an obsession that both of you guys are sharing as well, which is this book that came out uh, earlier in October uh, called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Uh, by V.E. Schwab, we, all three of us, ordered a special edition of it from the company Owlcrate, which if you don't know, Owlcrate is a great uh, subscription book service that every month comes with all sorts of bookish goodies with your box, but then they sometimes do special editions of very popular, very um, hyped books. And Addie LaRue is one of them. And it took a little while for this box to ship to all of us, but we just got it. And we've, I think, all started the book and it's just beautifully written. It was definitely one of my most anticipated of the year. And we got some really cool stuff in the book. One of the items, I think it's actually going to be featured in an Instagram post that you all will have seen by the time this episode comes out. So uh, yeah, but I'm really enjoying the book and it was worth the like four week wait between when the book came out and when we got the the box. So it's very exciting. I'm You're excited all- to start it. I just yeah. have to get through my 8,000 library books first. I know the library gives the library <laughs> take it away. Like it, it definitely does. distracts me sometimes from other things, but uh, it, rich in books is never a problem to have, I guess. So right. that's where we're all at. So should we talk about the Scorpio races? Let's do it. All right, we're going to start with a book summary in case you uh, have not read this book and you just want to listen along with us here today. We'll give a quick summary and I will do that right now. It is the 1st of November, and so today someone will die. So begins the Scorpio Races, a book about the fictional island of Thisbe, where magical water horses called Kapolushka come to shore each October. The residents of Thisbe fight to tame these violent horses in an effort to run them in the Scorpio Races, an annual horse race on the beaches of Thisbe. Sean Kendrick has won the race four times on the back of Kor, a Kapolushka he has come to love deeply. Sean works as a horse trainer for the town magnet Benjamin Malvern and continues to do so despite the lack of freedom allowed to him and the torment caused by Malvern's son Mutt because Malvern owns Core and refuses to sell him to Sean. Puck Conley has never raced in her life but is compelled to enter the Scorpio races when she learns that her older brother is leaving the island and that Malvern, who owns their house, is planning to kick her and her younger brother Finn out. Out of desperation to convince her older brother to stay and to earn the much-needed prize money should she win, Puck enters the race, planning to ride her horse Dove, the only non-Kapolushka in the race. This is met with resistance on the island as no woman has ever raced before. Despite the fact that they are in competition and both have strong incentive to win, especially after Malvern agrees to sell Sean Core if Sean wins, Sean and Puck soon find that they are both drawn to each other. They begin to train with each other and plan to try to come first and second in the race. During the race, Mutt Malvern, who hates Sean, tries to sabotage Puck, and Sean fights him off, losing his chance to win the race and nearly losing his life in the process. Puck wins the race, saves her house, and buys Core from Malvern. Sean decides to release Core to the sea after he was badly injured in the race, but despite the call of the sea, Core turns back to Sean, seemingly planning to stay ashore. And that's the Scorpio races. It's kind of, it was hard to do that summary because it's a book that is heavy on detail and description in a beautiful way. Uh, But in terms of plot, it it kind of is a slow burn and I really love it for that reason. So it was kind of hard to synthesize it down, even though not a lot happens, but also a lot does happen, but internal in terms of these characters. And I think that's what really, I think, makes it special in the long run. It is a very internal book. It's kind of one of those things where you can tell it was written by an introvert because all the main characters are introverts and they're very interior and I love it. That's a really, that's a really good point. And I think that's kind of 
a big thing uh, in general in Maggie Steve Otter's books. Um, her other, maybe not her most famous series, but the one that we love the most here is The Raven Cycle, um, which we will be talking about at some point on this on this podcast. But it's very similar in the in the oh, same way. Oh, will that we? She- <laughs> <laughs> Was the Raven Cycle the it's impetus kind for this of the inspiration Maybe. for this entire podcast? Maybe, yeah. but we're not there yet. So this is a good, I guess, intro or good basis for us to start talking about Maggie's books, which are very atmospheric, very descriptive, very heavy on character development, and maybe somewhat lighter on plot. And that's not to say, obviously, that this book doesn't have stakes and it doesn't have a very forward propelling plot and it does, but it's really more quiet in terms of the character self-development. And and on that note, I think it's, you know, kind of interesting to note, like, I think that this is a very self-indulgent pick for us to talk about here. We obviously love this book and also the timing works out really well. Uh, This won't drop until later in the week, but we are recording this on the 1st of November. So we definitely chose it because we love it and the timing worked out really well. But in terms of some of the larger themes that we like to talk about on this podcast, it's a little harder to find that here. Uh, There definitely are themes that carry through that we'll talk about, but um, it doesn't have quite as much because it is a much more quiet that character focused book. But I think a good place maybe to to start here on this book is that it is I guess one of the bigger themes and is in in terms of the characters and their connections to this island is the island itself and the role that these water horses play in it. And it's really it's really interesting to me. I know that it comes from like Celtic legend, right? The the water horses for sure, yeah. Yeah. So that's a really big, big part of this. But then the connection that the particularly Sean feels with core and then, you know, just the, the way the whole Island comes alive this one time of year during the, the races. Yeah, the Island is really kind of its own character in the story, which I really love. Yeah, it, it really is. And I don't know what you guys kind of think about how it ultimately, I was trying to think like, okay, what is this saying about, the island and the horses and the fact that they're these these beings that are like from the sea and they're drawn to the sea and you know they're trying to force them to stay on land where they don't really want to stay and I was trying to like think of what that meant I don't know if you guys have any ideas about what if anything that's trying to say in a broader sense it seems like in the book there's two types of people that live on the island there's the people that can't that want to go to the mainland that see their future there and then there are the people that only feel alive sort of when they're on the island and these horses want are are calling call to the sea yeah yeah and we only the book is only really told from the point of view of puck and sean who are both only really feel alive when they're on the island and they only they want to stay there and they just can't imagine why anyone would want to go to the mainland and so it's just such a, it, it, there's like no time on the island, on the island. It's so just completely separate from this mainland. It adds to the magic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely its own culture. And I also think there's something to be said there as far as like the people on the island trying to keep these Kapalishka, even though they belong to the sea and the sea calls to them. And I think it's kind of like just a commentary on like humankind in general, uh, that we are always trying to tame something that, that you know isn't really tameable and control something that we have no right to control. Yeah, there's a character who, who dies on, on the island, Tommy, and we yeah. sort of get to know him. He's not a main character, I guess. And at the funeral, Tommy's father tells Puck that they were going to lose him anyway because he was planning on going to the mainland and how... It just sort of struck me struck me how dying and leaving to the mainland are, are considered the same thing for some of these people. Well, they say that like everybody that goes to the mainland never comes back. So that's one of the biggest issues Puck has with Gabe leaving because he's not just going to go live on the mainland and, you know, write letters and send her money and come visit. Like he says he's going to do all those things, but you really get the the feeling like he's not. Like everybody that leaves the island just leaves forever and never comes back. Yeah. And then as you pointed out, Jesse, you know, Sean and Puck 
are just very tied to the island. Puck talks a lot about how she feels very connected to the island. There's a lot of imagery of how she almost seems at time to be part of the island, like she's connected to it through through the dirt. And I think that that probably plays into why they have such a connection to the horses, in particular how Sean has his connection to Kor, his Kapalushka, but Puck has Dove, who is, she's a normal horse, not a, not a water horse, but they both have these intense connections with, with their horses and feel compelled to stay to the island. And I think it works out really, I, I get where it comes from. At one point, there's a discussion of the stables where Sean works that are owned by Benjamin Malvern and they are designed and built like all the stables on the property are, look like the one church on the island. And that's another interesting thing in this book is the interplay between more traditional religion and this more paganistic type religion or uh, tradition surrounding the Kapalushka. But, you know, the stables being designed by the church, it, it kind of shows that this is also like a religion for, for these people on the island. And you definitely get a strong sense of that. And at the end of the day, that's all Sean and Puck want is they want to be able to stay in this place that they love with, with their family. And that to the extent that they have a family, it ends up being, you know, each other and, and their horses. And it's a quieter goal, right. In terms of people who have bigger dreams, but it doesn't make it any less valid. And I think there's a real like quiet beauty in that, how that that's what they want. One of the things that I find fascinating in this book is that Sean and Puck both lost a parent or both parents to the sea and to these water horses, but they're still fascinated by them. Like Sean, like Corb is the reason that Sean doesn't have a father and the water horses are the reason that Puck doesn't have any parents, but they don't really seem to blame the horses for the loss of their parents. I think Puck has more of a problem with it than Sean seems to. I think she's a little bit more conflicted. And she uses the water horses killing her parents as an excuse as to why she's riding Dove when that doesn't really seem like the reason she ends up riding Dove because she is sort of drawn to the water horses. She's drawn to core. She is interested when Sean brings up the possibility of him being able to find one of the water horses for, which I'm using because I refuse to try to pronounce. <laughs> um, I think there's a, a line where Puck says they'd always scoffed her parents at the races and the horses had killed them in their boat. And now here I was going to get on one of them to ride in the race. And then later she's looking at core and she's about to ride with Sean and she's talking about all the things that she's afraid of. And she says that she's afraid that she'll dishonor her parents' death and that she's afraid that she'll love it. So there's just this fascination with the, the water horses, despite the fact that they've taken away something that was so precious to both of them. And then that's really interesting too, in terms of how like more traditional, like it seems like it's Catholicism is uh, in play in this book because that same guilt then spills over for Puck in terms of just her her whole role in this. And she tries to go to confession and the priest basically tells her, I don't, you don't have any, nothing you're telling me is a sin. Like I have nothing to give you to, to confess for. Uh, but it is really interesting how she has a lot of like internalized guilt and anguish about the fact that she, she likes this. And I think that kind of ties in too, to the fact that she is the first woman to ever ride in the races in the Scorpio races. And it is not well received on the Island at all. Uh, which I think is one of the Shocking. really interesting things here. <laughs> I know. So one of the things we should point out about this book, which makes it really, really cool, is that it is impossible to peg down when in time this happened is happening. There are no indicators as to whether it's the 1920s or anywhere through like the 80s. Does, does do they not have technology because it's this isolated island or? Is it because it's a hundred years ago? I, I, we don't know. Uh, it's really a, an interesting way to to take this book. So then you also kind of put some of these issues in context, especially when it comes to Puck being the only woman in the races. Is it because it's 
a hundred years ago and that's just the way things were? Or is it a commentary on how things haven't changed over time and won't change? And I I think it's probably both, right? But it's really, she gets so much pushback from the get uh, in terms of, of entering these races. And I think it's, it's, it's really, there's a lot of really interesting moments on that front. Like for instance, from the moment she signs up for the races, no one believes that she's going to do it. She has multiple people ask her to back out and like also like rubs her parents death in her face a lot talking about how like it would you know dishonor their memory or whatever to participate in 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 the race even as she's riding a normal horse yeah and it's it's really it's hard to see her have to deal with some of this i mean again like from until until the very end like she you have to get colors to put on your horse like on the day of the races and they like won't give her any and then they ignore her about it and it, it's it's really it's really frustrating and hard to see. Then there's like interesting commentary, like the reporters at the race are asking her, like, "Oh, are you inspired by the women's suffrage movement?" So I don't know. Is that like just a, again a case of someone eighty years after the fact feeling inspired by the women's suffrage? Well, and movement? they also say that the <laughs> island itself is separate in time, like from the rest of the world. So I mean, like. Who even knows when any of this is happening? But yeah, I think it's really interesting because um, not only does she have like the the traditionalists and the people that are scared for her and everything trying to get her to back out, but like even non-maliciously, she has the other racers kind of like intimidating her, even the ones that are like sort of her friends or her brother's friends, like bullying her. And they think it's like in a lighthearted way, but yeah, she's yeah. getting it basically from all all angles. Yeah. And then at one point she says too, she's talking to like one of the only other female characters in the book, um, the butcher's wife. What's her name? Is it Peggy Grafton? Uh, Peggy Grafton, I think. Yeah. She, uh, Puck says, I just want to be left alone. And Peg responds, like I said, you're asking to be treated like a man. So Puck is dealing with that the whole time of these like totally frustrating gender norms here. And I'm going to jump to a note that I saw you write, uh, Jesse, about Puck's own, not like struggles with her own femininity and her and feminism, but I think she has a, an interesting view on on that about herself. And I think it kind of ultimately kind of comes full circle in a nice way. But if you want to jump in and chat more about what you meant by that, yeah, no, I she the when the book starts, I think Puck is very uncomfortable with her femininity, which makes sense. I mean, she's growing up with these brothers. Um, even though she sort of takes care of them, Gabe is more of the paternal figure at first. And it, there's a scene where she ends up with one of the boys on the island and she thinks that, and he's following her around sort of, and she thinks he's that he's just humoring her. And then she looks down at her hands and sees her mother's hands and they're not a little girl's hands. And she realizes that she's wearing her mother's face. And I think that struggle is something that she, she deals with the entire book of, is she Kate Connolly? Is she Puck Connolly? Who is she? And then at the end, when she goes to confront Malvern and and asks for a job, she puts on one of her mother's dresses. She does her hair nice and wears her mother's jewelry and goes and confronts Malvern. and, And she says she wants to look as terrifying as possible. And she does this wearing her mother's face and sort of becoming the adult that that she was wondering early on in the book if that if she would ever become. So I really like that arc for her. I mean, we'll obviously go in into sort of character arcs later, but I think embracing her femininity and embracing that role that she's playing, you know, she doesn't enter the races to be the first woman. That's never her intention. And she really struggles with it when confronted with that fact that she's the only woman. And then at the end, I think she's sort of coming around to embrace embrace that and not so much her sexuality but like a little bit because yeah I think it's John yeah I think it definitely plays into like both her just owning the fact that she's a woman at the end it's really empowering on like obviously a broader theme perspective like yeah girl power like this is great but also just within the setting of this book that she gets you know so much shit from so many people about being the first woman to enter these races and the fact that she's she wins and then at the end it almost like flaunts in their face like yeah I'm a girl what are you gonna do about it and it is really nice but then I do think too there is 
a willingness to be more interested to, in boys and romance and and things of of, of more sexual nature than th- that comes throughout the book, uh, and it's solely because of Sean and and the connection that they have with each other. And you know, she goes from you know on the night of like the Scorpio festival or whatever, trying to like ditch this boy who's like being nice and interested to her to kissing Sean on uh, and on the lips in front of everyone and all the reporters at the end of this, um, and it, it gets really goes to speak to their their deep connection here. And I think that's what really makes this book so special is their in, internal reflection on each other and what each other means to the other and and how after living these kind of very sol- solitary lives that they could find like a counterpoint in each other. I think uh, Sean says at one point about her that she that puck is both a mirror of myself and a door to the part of this island that i am not so they're just kind of you know two halves of the same whole i love that line as tasia said when we were all reading this book again and like trying to take notes at it she's like i'm resisting trying to put every single line into the 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 google doc that we're using because it's so hard i still put a ton yeah i mean it's it's just beautifully beautifully written in a lot of ways but it's very maggie she has such a lyrical style and it's so it's kind of just this side of like purple prosy but like in the best possible way oh what does that mean i don't know that term Purple prose is kind of like overly flowery oh, um yeah. writing style. Well, I think she one of the one of the things I love about her writing is that she says a lot by saying very little. And I think that this book says a lot without a lot going on. Again, we talked about like how the there's there is a plot, but it is not a ton happens action-wise throughout the book. So she says a lot with very little in terms of the overarching themes of her novels, but then she also just on a sentence level has just this knack of really getting to the truth of something in a sentence using imagery and what it means. And I think that that's a really good example of it. I think basically everything in this book is, is. And the whole book is like that, like in in all the characters are like that. I think it probably would be fair to say that this is the book that is most Maggie of all yeah, her books. Like this one her. is, yeah, she like this book is a horcrux. She put <laughs> part <laughs> of her soul into it. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels that way and it makes it hard to explain again, a lot of these things about what makes it so special is it's just, it would be us reading the whole book. <laughs> Which the audiobook I've heard is great. Tasia, have you listened to the audiobook? I have, I have, yeah. Yeah. And I've heard it's great. And I feel like that's me. <laughs> maybe when you're done listening to this episode, <laughs> friends, you should just go on if you want more. Just keep listening to it because to get a so sense what do you want to do? We should need... we just like alternate chapters as we read this whole yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe that's illegal. Like I don't know what the <laughs> line is of like, although we're not getting it like ad tells to us these days. So yeah. But it I I I love that that aspect of her work it it really just everything is so intentional and I think that that's really interesting about the characters in this book too is in particularly Sean is that everything he does is very intentional I think Puck at one point says you know she's trying to figure out what it was that was like drawing her to Sean and she says it's something about hesitancy and that like Sean doesn't hesitate because he's Mm -hmm. thought of every single thing before he does it even if that means he doesn't do anything. So even I think what she's trying to say is that she's got a competence kink. Who doesn't? All same. same. (laughs) Yeah. So Sean is kind of an ultimate book boyfriend, especially for the three of us who very much appreciate his competency here. So, you know, we haven't talked a a lot about him, but in terms of what he does at the, the stables, the Melbourne stables, but he basically trains all the horses, Kapalushka and non-water horses alike, he is personally responsible for like Malvern's business being as successful as it is, like breeding racehorses to the point where we have um, one of my favorite side characters in this book is this American named George Holly who comes for the races, but also to buy horses to take back to California. And he tries to like poach Sean and get him to come and leave with him. He's just so well known uh, for for his skill with these horses and then particularly with the water horses like he's the only one who can like try to to tame them in any way shape or form 
it's very impressive. We I really like yeah, I really like George because when he shows up on the scene, you think, oh, this rich American with his, you know, pristine clothing. And I, I think there's definitely a sense that you're not supposed to like him. I think there's a lot of like coded things about his character. But as the book goes on, you're like, maybe he's a really good guy and he's means really well and he's funny and appreciates the island. I think both Puck and Sean at some point comment on how the sea is sort of starting to call for George and how he's sort of changing in in small ways that they they notice in particular and how that means that maybe he's like a good guy and they should trust him and uh he's the biggest puck sean shipper in the entire book (laughs) so i think we have to appreciate that he's so good when he finally like talks to puck for the first time he spends the entire conversation just like digging (laughs) about like her and sean Yeah, because, well, everyone else is trying to warn her away from Sean because they think I hate that. that. Yeah. And I, it, it's like everyone, she, I think everyone else on the island has a very wrong, they, they're very ill-informed and they have total misconceptions about who both Puck and Sean are as people. And the, the reason they work together is because they know who exactly who the other person is. Like, you know, people think that Sean is the way that he is because he wants to keep winning the Scorpio races. So he's won like four of the last six years or whatever. And at one point I forget who someone says something to Puck about like he, you know, victory and these races is like all that he's interested in. That's so not true. Like he's interested in them and wanting to do well because a, he has this deep connection with core, but also, you know, he wants to have his own life. All he wants is to move back to his father's house on the other side of the island, get out from Benjamin Malvern's thumb and winning the races, even though he only gets like a 10th of the prize money, the rest goes back to Malvern is his only way to, to wrestle free of that. And so I think that that's what really kind of ties these, these two together is that Puck sees exactly who he is and what's important to him in a way that no one else, no one else gets him in that same way. And it's, it's really nice to see. I really didn't like in the book. I think, is it both Peg and Dory say, or I get all the sort of yeah, side characters <laughs> confused. They both come at Sean and Puck sort of, everyone calls them out. The fact that they have the hots for one another, like immediately <laughs> when Puck sees him, she's like, drooling over him and someone's like you need to stop (laughs) and then like later um someone says something similar to to sean about uh how much he's you you swallow her with your eyes i'm surprised there's any left of her for the rest to see that kind of thing and at first and at first they come at they come at puck and and they're just sort of like it's easy to convince men to fall in love with you 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 know men you know like if you're too much like them you know the mystery's gone and I hate it yeah, <laughs> I know. so much because it's why they, I'm sorry, I didn't want to take the line from me. Is it all you have to do is be a mountain. They have to climb or a poem. They don't understand something that makes them feel strong or clever. It's why they love the ocean. And then Puck immediately thinks, I'm not sure that's why Sean Kendrick loves the ocean. Yeah. And she so, immediately so, understands him so much better than anybody else on the island, which is yes. weird to me because like you literally just need like a 10 minute conversation with the dude to yeah. see that he is mm-hmm. not like however, you know, people think of him. But um, yeah, she she gets him like right away. And I messaged you all when I read that, when I read, when I was rereading the book and there's that line where um, it's Dory or Peg talking to Sean. They said, you and I both know what you love and those races are a jealous lover. And Sean immediately thinks, but she's pegged me wrong because it's not the races that I love, which goes to what you were saying, Corinne. Yeah. Um, everyone thinks they know him. Yeah. And I think that in terms of like broader themes of this book, I just really love that because no one expects for people to have just like simple goals and simple desires like what the the famous i guess line that Sean repeats like multiple times throughout the book is you know, what I want is this, a roof over my head that is my own, accounts at Grattons and Hammonds and my names. And most of all, I want core. He talks about, I want, wants to see, he wants, he wants very simple things and no one understands that. They assume that he has to be in it for the thrill of the races and the, the thrill of victory in the races. And it's not that at all. And it's just as powerful and inspiring to just want something that is, is smaller, is, is simpler to, in comparison to 
what other people want. And that's what he finds in Puck too. She just, she wants to stay on this Island that she loves, that she feels like she's a part of. And, you know, it's, I think it's important to, in comparison to other fantasies where, you know, you know, the, the heroine has magic and she's going to save the whole world from this huge destructive force. It's nice to see a story like this where, you know, Puck ends up quote unquote saving the day, but it's, it's for relatively simple things. She's fighting to preserve the happiness that she wants and the happiness that she thinks she can continue to have, especially now that she has Shauna in her life. And that's almost, it's so much more relatable in a lot of ways than these like big epic fantasies that you can be just a, a normal girl and, and she doesn't have any powers. The only magic in this book comes from the, the water horses and she, but she fights and on her normal horse wins the day and is able to get what she wants and ultimately get Sean what he wants, which is to own core, even if it is just to try to set him free at the end. But I, I, I really like that as an over arching theme of the book. It just, it really works for me. I think too, one of the things we need to talk about is Gabe uh, mm-hmm. and how he is going to just leave his sister and brother on the island. So okay, Gabe, so is- this is so, like, I get so mad every time I reread this book, I get just like unreasonably furious with Gabe. Or maybe not unreasonably furious, but okay, like all three of them, uh, Puck and her two brothers are orphans. It's assumed that that Gabe is maybe like twenty one ish, and Puck is like eighteen ish. So yeah, she's like technically an adult and everything, but they wouldn't be surviving at all without Gabe's financial help too, because mm-hmm. he also has a job, and he's been keeping like their their imminent eviction from his family, giving them zero time to prepare for it, zero time to prepare for him leaving. He was just like, okay, okay, like I'm going to peace out now. Bye. And like, you know, he's never going to come back. Like Puck knows that. Mm -hmm. So just abandon. And like, I get it. You deserve, like he hates the Island. Like it's not in his, in his heart and soul. Like it is in Puck and and Sean, but um, like to abandon your two younger siblings, one of them who isn't even adult, who isn't even an adult yet to just like, okay, you're going to be homeless and you're not going to be able to feed yourselves, but later, like it is, it is so fucked up. I'm so mad at him. I understand why he wants to leave, but at least give them some like time to prepare. She literally throws herself into this race that is, you know, uh, probably going to kill her just to try to get him to stay a little bit longer. Yeah. And I don't know that I ever have a a good sense of why I get why Gabe wants to leave. You know, he tells uh, Puck like multiple times that he just, he, he can't do it anymore. And I, there's a lot that's wrong with this beat. It's very poor in a lot of ways. It's, it's a very hard place to live. They have this one weekend a year that maybe everyone can benefit in some way when they have the races and the festival surrounding it and visitors come to, to watch this, but it's a very tough place to live. So I get that he wants to leave, but I just do not understand in any way, shape or form how he can, treat his siblings that way. And he does apologize to them at some point towards the end. He's like, you know, I should have trusted you both more, but not only is he want to leave, but he's like basically living a double life on the Island. Yeah, like that. And he's completely like, he's only supposed to be there for like another couple of weeks, right. Until the end of the races. And he spends pretty much every night, like outside of his home. Like he doesn't even spend time with them. I'm just like, yeah. He's but there's also interesting notes about Gabe. Like I kind of get, vibes about him and Tommy. Yeah. I was wondering what you guys thought of that. I definitely got that the first time I read the book. And I thought that that was going to be something that comes out, especially when Tommy dies. Like they're basically both like living at the Grafton's at like the butcher Pagan. I think his name is Thomas Grafton's house. Like Puck has to go, Puck and her little brother Finn have to go there at one point when one of the Kapalushka gets loose and like nearly kills them at their house. And they go to stay at the Grafton's. And it's very clear that Tommy and Gabe have like this 
ritual there. I mean, they've obviously been there before. They're very comfortable there. They're referring to certain places like, well, this Impact is your, your room. Multiple times that like they oh, have a language without well, that. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but she she notes several times that they have a language like a without a without any dialogue. Yeah. You know, like they just look at each other and they know what the other means. Yeah. So and it's it never is addressed further, but I do I do feel like there is something there. Because like when Tommy dies, Gabe is cries and doesn't fuck say something like that's the first time she'd ever seen or she couldn't remember ever seeing Gabe cry before. So I think like that, not even when their parents died. Yeah. So I do see how like if this is a place that is very like backwards in a lot of ways. And I think that makes an even more compelling argument for it being set in a more modern time frame is like this place is so backward that things that like we should we kind of take for granted now in our modern time, but like women doing things and potentially two men being in love with each other. It's not possible on this Island. Um, So yeah. I wonder if there's more to it than, than what's on the page. I wish there was more because I still don't have a clear sense of why he, if it was that he was with with Tommy, I, I, that's fine. I just wish we got maybe like another another little bit more in there, so it's not quite so opaque. I can forgive Gabe for wanting to go to the mainland. You know, he doesn't feel those ties to the island. He wants a job where he doesn't smell like fish. He's sick of it. I, I completely get that. What I think is sort of unforgivable is that he hides from them that. Melvern is going to take their house and then hides again, like, like literally hides. And like, do you keep having Puck me like, where's Gabe? Where's Gabe? And he just never around. And so you're as the reader is like, why, you know, just explain. And, and he's sort of a coward, I guess. He's not really w- willing to face it. Um, and I, I just really hate that it takes so long for us to, for Puck to get to confront Gabe about it. That's I was ready to kick his ass myself. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so pissed. And him calling her hysterical every time she tries to talk to him about anything. Yeah. That just goes into more of like how backward the treatment of women on this island is. And Gabe like plays into it. And it's like, yeah, well, okay. A, I don't know that she is being hysterical. B, she has big reason to be hysterical, Gabe, because you like basically gaslit her into thinking that everything was okay. You come home and be like, I'm leaving in like two days. And then she's like, wait, no, no, no. I'm going to do the Scorpio races. So like, don't leave. And so he's like, fine, I'll wait. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not a good look for, for Gabe here. It's all very frustrating. But I think it does uh, create a nice... So we have like each, both Puck and uh, Sean have their own conflicts that they're dealing with. Like, you know, Puck is dealing with trying to save her family in this conflict that she has with Gabe. And Sean has this constant conflict with Mutt and Mr. Malvern. And then they are in conflict with each other. And I think it's amazing how much tension this book is able to build with, again, not a ton of action. And it's so authentic. Like, it's it's really good tension because of the fact that the conflict is really, like, both of them for their own reasons need to win like absolutely like their mm-hmm. their lives basically depend on it yeah um they need to win but they also want the other to win like they each have very good reasons to win and to want to win but they can't like only one can win and that makes that tension so good it really it really is okay. I like the first time I read this book I was like what is going to happen like I could not think of a an ending that was that would be in any way yeah. satisfying yeah yeah uh, and it does end up being satisfying, but I agree. It was just very, very, uh, com- you want both of them to win. It's like, it's and really I hard. hate in stories when the conflict is based around something like miscommunication, where if these two characters just sat down and had an honest conversation for like five minutes, every, everything would be fine. But this one, it's like, it's just not solvable. Like they're, they're honest with, with each other about what they each have at stake here. And it's just, <laughs> It's so sad. Yeah. For how for how much this book is building up to this race, the race itself is like what chapter? It's like seven pages in my, I have the ebook. And yeah. I, I, I remember the first time I read it, I like sped through those pages because I needed to know what happened. So it was sort of nice on a reread to be able to go slowly through it and read a little bit more carefully what happens, even though it's still sort of unclear how Sean, you know, I mean, Mutt, and Sean have like some sort of conversation. Sean ends up in the water, but it, it, it 
for it's just so interesting that the book is called the Scorpio races and it's the race is only like seven pages long. Yeah. That's a really good point, but it's like almost like the thing, what's that phrase or like, like something is like the myth surrounding something is, is bigger than the thing itself. Obviously it's a big thing. Like multiple people die, like Mutt dies at the end of this. Then good um, riddance. I don't know, seriously. Uh, uh, he he dies at the end of this and multiple people died in the training leading up to it. So it's not something to like fuck around with these horses, but uh, yeah, it totally, it is kind of a, sh- a very short thing and it, it shows that, you know, the, the character development here is kind of more uh, important in the, in the long run with Sean ultimately realizing that like he is, is lonely. He, he wants to be with Puck and, and Puck realizing that she, can also have the same thing too. And it's really nice. It's kind of funny in Maggie books. I feel like you get the sense of that, like she's like just building these characters and building these characters. And then sometimes she's like, Oh, Oh, oh yeah. There's, there's plot too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the plot, the plot is really like compelling. in a very good way, yeah. in a very good way. Yeah. Yeah. And like the race chapter is very like thrilling. The chapter where the Kapolishka is like at their house is like horror. It's like horror it's so scary. Like she builds tension really well in those plot driven moments. But yeah, I agree. Like the character development is, is really, really important. Is that a good time to switch gears into the main reason we really love this book? Which, <laughs> Are we ready to open that can? <laughs> which is the romance between Puck and Sean, because I, that is what I am here for and what i i love this book. at one point tj you like texted us about something that you were reading because like, i'm just gonna throw my book across the room oh, like so and literally it was the most like inconsequential thing like i think it was the first time that sean said her name like he just said kate Connolly, and i was just like ah <laughs> about to go punch a wall it's so good or like the first time they really have much interaction they both are like picked up by mr grafton the the butcher in town and uh, puck's already in the car and then sean gets in so they have to like cram together in the front seat of this like pickup truck and they're they're talking about uh the fact that uh puck is gonna race dove who is not a water horse and just like out of nowhere, Sean like Sean hasn't he's said like, nothing. I have another war horse. You, like if you if you need a horse, Kate yeah. Connolly, and I'm like, he just speaks kill me so infrequently, but when he does, it's so good. It's so good, and that is, I think, again, the gift of of her writing is just little tiny moments mean so much, and for them, it's both of them. It's going out of their comfort zone in doing something different you know at one point puck invites sean to dinner and he like talks he thinks to himself about how dinner to him is just like quickly scarfing something down before he has to get back out in the stables like he can't imagine going and sitting with his feet under a table and like having a proper meal but then he goes and he brings a loaf of bread because he's like is this what you do and she's like well you did it so i guess that's what you do i mean they're both delightfully awkward It's it's so sweet yeah. So it's like all those little moments again, because we know Sean is very intentional in everything that he does when he goes to do something of any way of showing affection towards, towards Puck. It's so good because you know, it means so much coming from him. It's incredible. Something that there's something that Annie and I talk a lot about on the daily nightly, um, how sexuality and romance doesn't need to be, like explicit like I I love smut I love reading really explicit romance novels I find them fun Mm -hmm. and yeah but there's something that Jane Austen does that we always talk about where it there's not there's like barely any kissing in her books uh there's like no explicit sex in her books Mm -hmm, obviously (laughs) and but they're still just so sexy like there's something to be said for witty banter and conversations back and forth for for dancing and hand holding and the subtle nature of falling in love and having lingering glances yeah and finding the way that your soul speaks to another soul and having having it speak back to you and how sexy and romantic and sensual that is and then there's something in maggie's writing in all of her books 
that she just does it so well. There's like so little Overt, shirts off. Yeah. yeah. Overt sexuality, but just these tiny, tiny moments, you know, I notice he smells of hay and horses and that makes me like him better. Like what? Like, why is that sexy? <laughs> I don't know, like, it, it works for them. And it, work, yeah. and it works for me too. Because I'm over here like, yes. Yeah, I love she notices, smells like hay and horses. She notices he has dirty fingers just like she does. Like, yeah. it's finding your soul's connection in another person right. that is just so romantic and yeah. works for me just as much as as much as I love explicit. Yeah. And and that is, I mean, the most beautiful moments in this book are again, really small moments. So I think one of the first ones that we get is Sean letting Puck ride core, having Puck ride core. It's oh, like nothing happened. Unreasonably sexy. Unreasonably <laughs> sexy. Ride a horse. I don't understand. <laughs> but it's like you, you've, it's built up to that point. I think it's around the almost 300 page mark of a uh, almost 400 page novel. So it, you have built this tension between them. And then he asks her to ride his horse, which in and of itself is so sexy because you know, after 300 pages, how much core means to him, how he feels this deep connection with core. And he just wants Puck to love core. He, oh, more I than he wants, line. more than he wants Puck to love him. Like, he's just like, I want oh. her to love him. She oh. stands beside Core looking up at him. I want her to love him. Like, oh. that's just the line. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it means so much. Yeah. So then they ride the horse and her hair is like whipping around because it's like windy and he says something to her and she can't hear him. So then he takes her hair and tucks it into her collar. And I'm like, it sends a, a chill through me. It's so thrilling. <laughs> All he's doing is moving her hair. It's so good. It's it, yeah, Maggie is so good at building that tension too. Yeah. And I just want to mention, like, I love that Core, who is this crazy demon water horse, has a big old crush on Puck's horse. I think yeah. it's the cutest thing, first of all. But I also think it kind of speaks to like a a deeper connection between Sean and Puck because each of them has such a like spiritual, deep, inextricable. A connection with their horses like that is really important to them and that their horses are drawn to each other as well i feel like that is just straight up like soulmate yeah shit. it's so good sean keeps being like core's acting like an idiot showing off for dove it's like, so he cute pre- he's projecting. like training yeah. <laughs> is it core or yeah. is he? <laughs> it's so good it's so good and i don't know is that a good place to turn into our superlatives here because they end up just being a lot more. <laughs> it's just going to be a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. we might as so well. So we'll jump into that now and we'll start with uh, favorite quotes. And I will let Jesse, since you are here, say this one because it's also mine. I think probably all of and my, yeah, way, yeah. So you can. Oh, this is so can. much pressure behind my delivery here. <laughs> Let's see if I. Okay. I say, I will not be your weakness, Sean Kendrick. Now he looks at me. He says very softly, it's late for that puck. Oh, it's late for that puck. Oh, it's so much. <laughs> and then like after that, that's when he goes to dinner and they like keep shooting glances at each other across the table. It is, it's incredible. <laughs> I know. It's so, again, it, it's so subtle. It's done so incredibly well. I like one of my favorite quotes is at the end when Puck has her triumphant moment and she goes to see uh, Benjamin Malvern and buys core and also t- gets herself a job there. She's like, I, I need a job. I'm going to to work here for you. I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do. And he kind of, I think he kind of like respects her in that moment for sure. And he's, he agrees to everything that she, she says she pays off the debt on her house. She gets herself a job and she gets core for, for Sean. Uh, but then Malvern says to her, you two are a strange pair. You are a pair, aren't you? And she goes, we're in training. And I love, I love it because it. it's all they've so had good. is like, you know, two kisses to this point and no promises made to each other, but yet every promise and how that they've acted with each other. And it's just, it's, it's so well done. I love that line. Uh, Tasia, you have other favorite quotes too, besides the obvious ones. Yeah, I have a, a bunch. So buckle, buckle in. Yeah. So two of my favorite quotes in this whole, in this whole book happen literally on the first page. One of them is literally the first sentence in the book. And that is, um, it is the first day of November. And so today someone will die. That is a good hook. Yeah, it really is. I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also on that same page, 
about Sean thinking to himself about the feeling he gets around you know, the races and the horses. And he thinks I am so, so alive. Love and let's it. see, of course there's the, it's late for that puck. It's an all timer. Yeah. It's so good. Um, and then there's that scene where the Kapolishka is in like her stables or whatever, and mm-hmm. her and her brother are hiding. And she thinks it still stinks like the ocean, like low tide and things caught on rocks. It's barely a horse. It's hungry. Like, Ooh, Oh, it is. Scary. It is so scary. scary. It is so atmospheric. Um, and then there is that that peg line where she says, uh, or I think it's peg or Dory. No, I'm getting them mixed up. I know. Um, it's like very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> but she says, it's easy to convince men to love you, Puck. All you have to do is be a mountain they have to climb or a poem they don't understand. Something that makes them feel strong or, clev- or clever. It's why they love the ocean. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm I'm gonna steal this one too that you put here, Jesse, because I also like it. And I talked about, I had it in my notes too, that I'm... This is Puck talking about Sean smiling at her. I'm quite happy for that smile because dad told me once you should be grateful for the gifts that are the rarest. Oh, that is that right there is just like a really good example of Maggie's writing because you, you, you learn so much in that sentence. Like, you know, that Sean, if I just read you that sentence, you would know so much about Sean Kendrick. Yeah. And she has a way of writing that makes it feel like wordplay, you know, like, I don't know how to describe yeah. it, but it's just really clever and I love it. Yeah. On to favorite character and character arc. Jesse, you want to go first? Yeah. I, you know, I think Sean's my favorite character in the book for obvious reasons <laughs> that we talked about. Um, but for me, in terms of character arc, I really like Puck's arc here because I really like the way that she grows up in the course of the book, um, how she starts really sort of unsure of herself and then ends with her confidently walking into the house of the man who owns the entire island, who we've been told is a monster. <laughs> and she and who really almost tried to buy her house like out from or steal her house right out from under her. And she like sits toe to toe with him and gets like everything she wants. And I really just think that it shows so much growth and and so much earned growth it isn't just that she goes from you know not being good at racing horses to being good at racing horses you know she's always been a good rider you know but it's more about confidence it's more about growing up and knowing that you don't need your older brother to like hold your hand you, you know you can yeah. do this you can take charge of your own life and and uh, yeah, the her putting on her mom's dress i think it's just so indicative of uh, of her arc and becoming more comfortable with herself and her femininity and being a woman and being powerful. Yeah. And I just, I really like her trajectory across the book yeah. as much as I love Sean. Cause I love Sean. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go next. I agree. I mean, I, I love them both a lot. I, in terms of your character, I'm going to go with George Holly because I think he's just a great injection of levity into the book in a lot of ways. He's this like happy go lucky American. So he just has a, a, sunnier outlook on life compared to a lot of the island residents but he as jesse said is like the number one puck in sean shipper he loves them together he gives sean a lot of confidence um, in his ability i mean sean knows that he's really good with the horses but it's nice to hear that and be able to use that against malvern who you know kind of limits sean's freedom in a lot of ways and then i i think my favorite arc is sean's for how his confidence in himself and his ability builds through the book and yeah some of that comes from george holly but most of it comes from puck there are multiple times where he pauses and thinks to himself here about how he's going to channel puck's confidence the confidence that she had where at the festival she goes to put her name in and all the men try to get her to back down and she won't back down. He thinks about that when he goes to Malvern to think about or to try to uh, convince him to let him buy core. It's, it's great that he, he finds that, that strength from her and that courage from her. So I love that. All right. So I, my answer is pretty much the same as Jesse's. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Basically um, Sean is my favorite character. Yeah competence kink is going to win out every time. Um, But yeah, I think Puck's arc is the best. And we've already kind of gushed a a, a lot here. We love Sean Kendrick. But um, we need to talk about our favorite swoon moments. We've avoided talking about it to this point. I'm just going to read it because I think it's the same for a lot of us here. This is after they ride core and he like 
ha- he lets uh, Puck ride court and he rides behind her on the horse and he gets off the horse. And uh, this is what happens. This is from Puck's perspective. Once this is done, he walks over to me, dark and silent. He's looking at me like he looked at me at the festival, and I know I'm looking back. Something wild and old spins inside me, but I don't have any words. Sean reaches out between us and takes my wrist. He presses his thumb on my pulse. My heartbeat trips and surges against his skin. I'm pinned by his touch, a sort of fearful magic. We stand and stand, and I wait for my pulse against his finger to slow, but it doesn't. Finally, he releases my wrist and says, I'll see you on the cliffs tomorrow. Ah! <laughs> I'm like, hot now? I know. I know. Like, literally any time I've read a book since then, you guys can both vouch for this. And since the first time I've read this book, anytime there's any sort of like wrist touching, I immediately am like, guys, there's wrist touching going on. Oh and I'm like, so like yeah, we are. Like, like, if you take a picture of us, we are all red. It's, again, <laughs> it's so subtle. And he's literally just touching her wrist but it's so good. And then I think that leads into, I'm going to throw it to you, Jesse, because I see what you have written here, which is like a carry through uh, uh, from this moment. Yeah. So favorite swoon moment. I mean, obviously the wrist touching, but then there's a derivative of the wrist touching. Um, There's a line in Puck's POV where she says, I think every now and then about Sean's thumb pressed against my wrist and daydream about him touching me again. But mostly I think about the way he looks at me with respect. And I think that's probably worth more than anything. So good. And, you know, the, the, the kiss in this book. You just got the dreamiest yeah. look in your yeah. face. I love it. <laughs> they kiss in this book. This. Cause it's just funny that like, we're not talking about, they're like, they kissed like twice. And once is like on this romantic, like cliffside. Yeah. But I, what really gets to me here is obviously the risk and daydreaming about touching, but the fact that he looks at her with respect and how yeah. that's totally worth everything to her. Cause everyone looks down at her in this book. Nobody thinks she can do it. Um, even the like the fellow like women, you know, girl power on the island at first, like don't think she can do it. But Sean thinks he can she can do it. He vouches for her. I, you know, th- I think this book could have easily gone into paternalistic territory. Sean, you know, looking out for her on the races, teaching her how to do the races, could have kind of come off as like this overprotective male trope that I don't think any of us like very much. Right. And that's kind of outdated. Um, but here I think Sean respects her and that's so important. He, he vouches for her. He knows she can, can do it. He knows she can win. And he says that multiple times and, and and he's there for her. And even when he's like, you can't ride on the beach today, it is not to protect her. He was like, I'm not riding on the beach today. I don't think you should, you know, like, it's not a good day. Someone's going to die. Right. And so that just. It goes. It sort of transcends like love for me because it's like respect too. It's like that. I love you and I like you. You know, I yeah. love you, but I also like you and I respect you as a person. So and how, good. You can really feel the equality between them, and I love yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what do you have, Tasia, for this this moment? Same shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to see all. No, no, you, no, it's good. You have another one too, which is good because it's not as overtly romantic or like oh, sexual. yeah. Um, well, Jesse's briefly sort of mentioned it, but yeah, him vouching for her at the ceremony, I think, was was really cool. Yeah, when um, it kind of a, yeah, like, an understated swoony moment that like everybody's like she's about to give in too because like everybody's kind of more or less booing her off the rock, you know, and then he stands up and he's like you know it's just simple he's just like i'll vouch for her and then everybody instantly buckle you know buckles and lets her stay but you know which sucks and that's a bad look for them but Yeah. yeah And it's, it's funny because it, that's like the first moment, right, where everyone is very aware of how these two are interacting with each other and how they like look at each other. And I like then that it kind of comes full circle at the end with kind of that moment and also the wrist because at the end, Puck is speaking to the media before the races and Sean's like, you have to go try to get your colors. And he, she's like, okay, will you hold Dove? And she's getting ready to go. And he puts like a bracelet on her wrist. And then he kisses her wrist and he says, for luck. Then he starts to turn away and she goes, Sean. And then she pulls him into a kiss. And then she's just like, for luck. And it's in front of everyone. And you would think, I feel like Sean at the beginning of the book would probably turn very interior in that moment and not like embrace that. But he just is immediately looks back at her and they have this moment of, okay, these two are, they're a thing. There's no turning back. Like they might be in training as Puck says later, but this is a thing that's happening. <laughs> so good. We 
Rained it in again. We're all starry eyed right now. We can't even talk. Pause thinking of Sean Kendrick. He's so good. He's Uh, so dreamy. Yeah. But I I think that this is just truly like a a beautiful, really special book, a great book for Autumn to be reading at this time. And, you know, it just is, if if you like a book that uh, has a little bit less in terms of it, of, being plot driven versus a character driven it's it's so well done and we love it a lot yeah so thank you jesse for coming to talk with us about it today with and i think we could not have discussed this book with anybody else yeah if you ever want to spoon over fictional characters, yeah. give me and, a call. Well, and horses. One of the things I resisted oh, yeah. reading this book for a long time because I like don't like horses in real life. Like I don't fuck around with them. They scare me. They're large. Like I just don't care for them. The They're fact, very rude. Yeah. Well, the fact <laughs> that this book got me to like care deeply about horses when Cor like breaks his leg at the end or like there's some awful moments. We didn't talk about them, but M- Malvern is just the worst and like is responsible for the deaths of multiple horses in this book. And it's so upsetting i was like look at you making me care about horses maggie never thought i'd see it that's the power of maggie steve otter yeah, she's turning everybody into horse everybody that reads this you yeah. will become a horse girl it's so good. you know it's so good so before we wrap up here today Tasia, do you want to tell everyone what our plans are going forward here in the next couple of weeks Yes, so we're doing a, a little bit of a change. Um, we're not going to be here next week, but we will be here the week following that. We're going to take just a two-week, you know, a break in the middle because um, the next book we are going, or the next series that we're going to cover is the Shadow and Bone Trilogy by Lee Bardugo. And we're going to have another friend on with us to talk about that. But it's three books, so that's why we need an extra week because we are not super people. Right. And if I, I don't think it's necessarily like a spoiler or anything to say that we're, our plans are to cover in a couple of successive weeks there, um, all of the Grishaverse. So the Shadow Moon trilogy, the uh, Six of Crows duology, and then the King of Scars are things that you can expect from us in uh, November of this year. We're really excited to talk about it, especially ahead of the upcoming Netflix adaptation uh the show shadow and bone hopefully is coming out soon and we're really excited for that so we're excited to talk about it Uh, and check your feeds though in the meantime it's possible we might have a bonus episode sprinkled in there between now and then we'll be sure to post about it on our socials if we do but uh in the meantime in terms of books pods we will see you in two weeks uh before we go jesse again thank you so much for coming do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you in the, the daily nightly online Yes, um, Nightly is spelled K-N-I-G-H-T-L-E-Y. Um, we have an Instagram and a Twitter at Nightly Pod uh, and the Daily Nightly. We have an email. Talk to us about your favorite Austin adaptions. Lots of swoony fictional character <laughs> moments if that uh, floats your boat. Um, and check out the podcast at the Daily Nightly. And thank you so much, Karen and Tasia, for yeah. letting me come on and and swoon with y'all. Yeah, we can't wait to have you back sometime. Uh, soon. Yeah, uh, get used to Jessie. She's going to be a pretty <laughs> frequent visitor over here. Yeah, I'm practicing being cool. You're <laughs> doing a great job. Yeah. yeah, but the three of us are often reading books in tandem. So Jessie will yeah. be back with us here again someday. Uh, <laughs> soon, for sure. Tasia, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at RagyCakes. Great. And I am on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast at Actia Age on Instagram and Twitter. Our email address is actiaagepod at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, we'd love to hear from you there. In addition, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on, on iTunes, wherever you wherever you podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. Otherwise, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye, Bye. friends. <laughs>